Christians. I am wondering why uh, this jumping, wonderful, contemporary, Jesus-loving church would invite an old, crusty missionary to the Muslims uh, like me, and especially to have me come all the way from Malaysia just for this conference. If you don't know where Malaysia is, you just fly to Singapore and turn left, or Bangkok and turn right. Uh, <clears throat> so you have to ask yourself, why would your church leaders invite uh, this guy from Malaysia, especially when we were rather preoccupied with the tsunami victims? We uh, bought a $10,000 pump to pump out the salt water out of the wells in Aceh land in North Sumatra uh, so that the fresh water could flow back into them. And uh, another team has is, is got a... Uh, machine that's purifying other water because people can't last very long without water. And in another village, we're taking cooking gear because after they get settled a bit, they still can't cook because they don't have any houses, they don't have any kitchens. Uh, and so we're bringing cooking gear to them. Uh, so uh, I had to wrestle with the weather to come or not and, and uh, uh, felt that uh, God did want me to come. I have to admit I was somewhat bribed by uh, Tim Hardy giving me a second ticket for my wife so she could see her grandkids. Uh, but uh, I believe that we've come and you're having this week because God wants to enlarge your heart. God wants you to uh, lift up your eyes and, and look at the peoples of the world. Did you ever ask why Jesus said lift up your eyes? Because he knows us very well. He knows that most of the time we have our eyes where our feet are. And I understand that. You know, I had to get kids through college, I pay a mortgage and all those normal things. And, and so uh, uh, it's understandable, but it's less than what God wants for your life. And so uh, we have this week to uh, bring another dimension of what it means to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness that maybe you have yet to realize. I love this theme, God's passion for His glory and His fame, but I, I struggle a little bit because I know it's easier to say and sing these lofty words than it is to walk it through. And we have to ask ourselves, what does it look like? Uh, I find I hear a lot of you, especially the kids, saying, uh, awesome, awesome, wow, you know, wow, I, I, this girl is that I'm infatuated with, is willing to go on a date with me. Awesome. Or, or uh, you know, uh, uh, the Toyota is awesome. But Toyota is not awesome. <laughs> Only God is awesome. Only God should fill us with awe. And so, let's be careful about our language. Language is important. Did you hear about, you know, the missionary came with Frontiers and had a kind of a tough time, and somebody said, oh yeah, he went out there to... Uh, to uh, uh, Iraq, and, and he was destroyed. Whoa, destroyed? You know, I thought destroyed meant, you know, there's nothing left. Oh, well, he didn't get on very well with his teammates and, and, and didn't like it very much, didn't like the food, and so he came home. Oh, you mean he was disappointed. There's quite a difference, isn't there, between disappointed and destroyed. And so uh, we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean to pursue his fame? The Lord Jesus put it this way, Let your light so shine that men might see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. In other words, they watch your lifestyle and they say, Wow, there must be a God. Now, I won't ask you to raise your hand of how many people have been so impressed 
with your life that can't be imitated without the Holy Spirit, that you're such a giver in a way that the natural man can't give, that people have just had to say, I have to praise God who, who uh, is motivating you. The Lord wants to take us to a whole new level. The Lord Jesus left the last words, His last words ringing in the ears of His followers uh, when He was on earth. <clears throat> he said, I want you to go and give everyone in the world a reasonable opportunity to know what I've done on that cross. Now, suppose you'd been one of the twelve disciples. Wouldn't you have probably had a little word with the Lord after that great commission and said, you know, Lord, I think we need to be practical. You know, uh, let me just remind you a few things, Lord Jesus. You know, uh, we've been running around with you for three years, and actually we haven't been making much money. Uh, we haven't been in the fishing business. We haven't been collecting any taxes. And, and, uh, and you know, we're broke. And the wife's wondering when we're coming home. And not only that, you know, we can't go to all these places. I mean, you know, the Romans are occupying us, and they just don't let you go anywhere you want and do anything you want. And not only that, Lord, I know you haven't traveled very much. You've just been here in Israel. But, uh, you know, the people out there, they don't like Jews very much. And I don't think they want to hear from Jews, you know, about the truth of, of reality. They've got their own religions. And besides, you know, what are our kids going to do? They don't have Hebrew schools in India. And they could think of all the reasons why they probably couldn't do what Jesus was asking them to do, to go to make disciples of all nations. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> Anything like that ever gone through your head? Well, the Lord Jesus said, let me tell you the will of God for your life, boys. It's found in Acts 1.8, the last words he left ringing in their ears. I want you to be witnesses, both in Jerusalem and Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Now, most of us, when we hear that, and you've all heard that, read it wrongly. You think it says, I want most of you to work in your hometown, Jerusalem, and a few of you uh, can run down to Mexico uh, for a couple weeks and build a, something, and, and that's your Judea. And then I guess a few more could go longer and over to Ethiopia or Uganda or something for a few weeks and, and that'll be your, your Samaria. Well, that's not what Acts 1.8 says. You might just take a look at it because the Lord Jesus said, my plan for your life is to be a both and Christian. You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and. How could they do that? God loves you so much, and He's so big, as we've been singing all this time, that He can use anybody, anytime, anywhere, if they want to be used badly enough. I can tell you about missionaries. They're all struggling sinners, just like you, who just have higher aim. And believe that God is so big, He can even use them. You see, the, Jerusalem doesn't mean your hometown. Because Jerusalem wasn't the hometown of the first disciples. Remember when they were in Jerusalem, the people said, Hey, listen to that country accent. Behold, are not these men Galileans? They hated Jerusalem. They didn't want to go to Jerusalem. Jesus told them to start at Jerusalem. Why? 
because it was 250,000 pilgrims coming to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost from all over the then known Roman Empire. And so Jesus was giving them a chance to touch the lives of people who were going to go back to all these places. In other words, he wanted to give them a world ministry. That's why he sent them to Jerusalem. Now, if you just insist that you, your ministry is in Jerusalem, okay, come and talk to Tim Hardy and the missions committee and we'll see if we can get you to Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem isn't Simi Valley, it's in Israel. You can work with the Jews or the Arabs, we can work that out, but it's not your hometown. So, start saying, God, I want to be a both-and Christian, not an either-or. I want to have a ministry both here where I am and, and, and. That's what the Lord Jesus once you say, well, that, that would take supernatural power. Yeah, that's what it's all about. Now, I know there's different kinds of Christians. First of all, there's counterfeit Christians. Every church has them. Jesus said that. There's going to be the wheat and the weeds. And even in this church, there are people who are here for their spiritual aspirin or because or they you know, somehow uh, feel good when they come here. And you've never really met the Lord. You don't really live for the Lord. You're all absorbed in yourself. And you're a counterfeit. And I hope you'll get born again and get on the right side. And then there are the carnal Christians. These are the people who are always trying to figure out what's the minimum I can do uh, uh, that the church and God wants me to do and, and the maximum that I can do uh, for myself and still get to heaven. Uh, and then there's the Christmas Christians who treat God like Santa Claus. You know, God exists to give me stuff and, and take care of me and meet all my needs. Uh, and uh, that's uh, a real baby Christian, but some churches even teach uh, that. I'm so glad this one doesn't. And then there are great commission Christians. And that's what God is calling us to be, a world Christian. Not a worldly one, but a world Christian. That means getting up every morning when you wake, greeting your Heavenly Father and saying, Lord, I'm available today. Touch some lives for me. Help Enable me to help someone take another step towards becoming a true worshiper uh, of the Lord Jesus, a, an obedient follower of our Lord Jesus. Someone who, who is finding out who the peoples of the world, and you've got this great notebook that Tim's going to remind you about, with talks about all kinds of different peoples you've never heard of, uh, like the Way in China. Wouldn't you like to go to the Way and say, I'm from the Way, the truth and the life, to tell you the Way? Uh, or... You could go to the boogies in Indonesia. Yes, kids, there is such a thing as a boogeyman. In fact, there's one and a half, boogie, one and a half million boogie men and one and a half million boogie women. So if you want to come to Indonesia and boogie with the boogies, we can work that out. Because they still don't have their first church. Uh, and, and, and God wants you to get involved and, and know who these people are and be praying labors out to them. Asking God to give you His heart for the peoples of the world. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, right? We all know that. Well, if God loves the world and there's 6 billion plus people walking on the earth and 94% of them live outside the United States, where is 94% of God's heart? Yeah, you can figure that one out. <laughs> And if 94% of God's heart is outside the United States, shouldn't some of your heart be outside the United States? Shouldn't you be saying, Lord, I want my life to make some kind of difference whether my feet leave the U.S. or not among the peoples 
of the world that you died for. That's what this week is all about, to take you into a whole new dimension of involvement as a Great Commission Christian. Well, I mentioned the last words of the Lord Jesus. Let's look at the last words of the Apostle Paul. Uh, Those are found in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2. little commercial, I always forget. I got a little booklet out there. There's so many things for you to pick up. You're just going to drown and stuff. But if you want to know more about Malaysia, one of the states and some prayer requests, uh, there's one out there. It's free. It says Kelantan. That's uh, most Muslim state of, of Malaysia. Feel free to take that if you'll actually open it up and pray a little bit for those people. Second Timothy chapter 2. is an appeal to Timothy. And it's an appeal from a man who knows he's going to die in just a few weeks. You remember in Acts 28, the end of the book of Acts, Paul was arrested. He was in jail, but it wasn't such a bad deal. He had his little rented place for two years, and he could have Bible studies and investigative Bible studies with people there. And he finally got released, and he was sent on uh, to Spain, where he established a church uh, in Spain. I guess he did, because I've been in Spain, and I saw a little sign on the beach there in Tarragona that says, Apostle Paul landed here. Uh, and uh, I think he got there, and to uh, Albania. And while he was away from the Roman Empire, Nero, Caesar, decided that Rome was getting a little tacky, and he decided to burn it down. Bad move because the people of Rome got very upset that their houses all got burned up. They had nowhere to live. And so he had to find a scapegoat. So he said, the Christians did it. The Christians did it. And who is the number one ringleader of the Christians? As Paul comes back into the Roman Empire from his missionary trip, his picture is in every post office, uh, and he is arrested, and this time he's going to die. He's going to be beheaded, we learn from history. And he's worried. Now he's not worried about dying. Remember he said to be with Christ is far better. If you're worried about dying, that's a pretty good indication you don't know the Lord very well. And that you don't really believe what Paul said, that to be with Christ is far better. You're some kind of a masochist. You want to stay in this earth longer and longer and longer uh, instead of going home to be with Jesus I mean, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, if you normally work till 6 o'clock and the boss tells you you can go home at 2, would you be angry with him? You know. So he's not worried about dying. He's worried about the bozos that have to carry on the Great Commission, like us, after he leaves. Are they going to keep going? He's worried about Timothy. You may not relate to the Apostle Paul, but you can relate to Timothy because he always had to get pumped up. And Paul's saying, Timothy, Timothy, don't be ashamed of the Lord. See, the Greeks and Romans are saying, what? You follow some God that gets himself killed? You know, come on, we've got better gods than that. Or, what? You know, your gospel is, says Jesus is the only way, the truth, and life. no man can come to the Father except through Him. Boy, is that narrow. Is that bigoted? How can you be such a bigot? Does that sound like a contemporary stuff? Huh? <laughs> How can, and, and, and so Paul's saying, Timothy, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the Lord. Don't be ashamed of being a missionary. 
I mean, who wants to be a missionary these days, right? You don't have to go on the tin cup tour, you know, to get your support. I like to tell pastors, you know, if, if it's such a godly, wonderful thing for missionaries to raise their own support, why don't we ask the pastors to do it? <laughs> go raise your salary before you can start being pastor. Well, I won't get on that tangent. Uh, <laughs> Look at 2 Timothy 2.15. Here's, here's, here's Paul pouring out his heart to Timothy, young Timothy. Timothy, be diligent. Now, most of you have the New International, which is a great translation with a few exceptions, and this is one of them. It says, do your best. Doesn't that sound like your mother? Do your best. That is not what it says, folks. It's that same word that a coach would yell at, at, at his, his track. A uh, runner coming in for the last lap. Kick it on. Strive. Be diligent. Focus. Timothy, get your head into this. That's what the Word says. Put everything you've got. Into what, Paul? What are you so hyper about? Timothy, into presenting yourself to God. Keep focused on that day. The Bible calls it that day when you're going to meet Jesus face to face. Do you think about that? I think about that all the time. What is the Lord Jesus going to say to me when I meet him face to face? I know what I want to hear him say. I eat it and I drink it and I sleep it more than anything else in the world. I want to hear him say, Greg, well done. Greg, I was able to accomplish everything I wanted to do through your life. You didn't limit me by putting your own agenda in front of mine. I've got a friend uh, in Aspen, Colorado, uh, where I'm from, uh, who's a, a deacon in the church, and uh, he, uh, he's got a train in his backyard. Not a toy train, a railroad car from yesteryear. And I said to him, Dell, what are you going to do with this train? Oh, well, one of these days I'm going to fix it up. I said, Dell, one of these days, he's 72, I said, Dell, one of these days you're going to see Jesus. What are you going to say to him? Hey, you want to see my train? We laugh, but there's a lot of quote-unquote trains out there, you know, like with the pickup with the eight-foot tires and, and uh, all kinds of toys, Southern California. I, Timothy, you don't want to be ashamed. Timothy, be diligent to present yourself approved unto God as a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed. Implication? Many of us are going to have regrets of the way we lived our life, of the priorities that we gave it. And I'm just loving you to say, get into God's priorities. More and more. You're going to be glad you did. A workman who doesn't need to be ashamed. Approved unto God. The old King James says, approved unto God. And it was Jim Elliott who was speared to death by the Alca Indians in Ecuador who said, you know... When we meet Jesus, he's not going to be impressed by our B.A. or our M.A. or our Ph.D. The letters I want after my name, Jim Elliott said, when I see Jesus, are A.U.G. I want my A.U.G. degree, approved unto God. You know, that's a degree that's going to last uh, forever and ever. And so we need to run to win. We need to run to hear the Lord Jesus say, well done, to see him approve us, to, to know that we've accomplished everything He wanted to do through our lives. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Well, that's what missionaries say, you know. I, you know, Amen. This is our, 
our, our beating for the week, you know, that I've got to have this missions conference. Hey, uh, I want you to know that I was once a normal person. <laughs> really. I was, when I was in college, I was going to uh, go to law school. Uh, I didn't have any desire uh, to be uh, a pastor. I mean, who wants to be a pastor and have to shake hands with people you think are real jerks and say, oh, it's so nice to see you. You know, forget it. Get a real job, right? And, uh, and I certainly didn't want to be a missionary. I didn't like snakes and spiders and didn't want to marry some girl that had her hair up in a bun with a doily on the top. <laughs> but I was walking across campus and... Um, a guy came up to me and said, Hey, Greg, how would you like to go to an all-night prayer meeting? I said, What? What have you got to pray about that takes all night? <laughs> in my little church in Aspen, uh, we had a prayer meeting, which was really a Bible study, with about ten minutes of prayer tacked on the end, which was the weekly health report. And, uh, you know, uh, we say, Has anybody got any prayer requests? Uh, yes, Susie, your grandfather fell down, hurt his hip, okay. Uh, yeah, Joe, oh, you got an exam coming up, you got nausea, okay. Uh, and we would put the prayer requests before the Lord, I guess, but kind of like the Buddhists do, you know, they put them in a little prayer wheel and it zings around and they hope something happens. Now, in those days, uh, we were pretty conservative. If Susie's grandfather got up after we prayed and said, I'm healed, we'd have kicked him out of the church, you know. We, we uh, didn't believe in that sort of thing. Uh, but uh, I said to this guy, what have you got to pray about that takes all night? He said, the Muslim world. Right. Now, in 2005, you happen to know that one out of every five people on the planet is a Muslim. And uh, there are 50 dominantly Muslim countries where the church has either never been established or is very, very tiny. But in 1959... I mean, Muslim, Muslim, Muslim. Isn't that a white cheesecloth? I mean, I, I, had, I had no idea uh, that uh, there were so many people without a knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And I guess I didn't care. I mean, after all, this is a missionary's job, right? What, what are we paying for anyway? But more out of spiritual pride than anything else. Do you ever go to a meeting, you know, so that you can be seen there? Well, I thought I'll go down and, you know, try this out, an all-night prayer meeting. Might meet some nice girls, get some coffee and donuts. Walked into the door at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. No coffee, no donuts, no girls. Just these guys on the floor, hard wooden floor, on their knees over maps of Pakistan and Turkey and the Arab world and Malaysia. And I couldn't get away. And this 20-year-old kid, skinny kid named George Verwer, put his finger in my face. He said, what country are you claiming, brother? Whew. I wasn't even claiming my tuition. I didn't know what claiming meant. Uh, but I didn't want him to know that, so I said, well, what's left? And he said, Libya. You got Libya. Right. right. I know it's one of those islands off Florida. Just give me a minute here. <clears throat> well, that night I found out where Libya was. I found out there was a whole country without any church at all, without any known believers. And I made a big mistake. I did what Jesus told us to do, to look onto the fields and be moved with compassion. 
and pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth workers into his field. And I just obeyed for six hours and said, Lord, send people to Libya and can you figure out the rest of the story? You end up wearing stuff like this. (laughs) But I want to tell you, it's the greatest adventure. I tell you, I, 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 the one thing we can promise people who come to the Muslim world, just one thing, it won't be boring. <laughs> and a lot of you got boring jobs. I've never had a boring job in 40 years uh, trying to win Muslims to the Lord. It isn't easy, but it isn't boring. Uh, and it's been a magnificent adventure with God, giving up my small ambitions going out to India and the Arab world, now Malaysia, helping over a thousand people get into residence in so-called closed Muslim countries. But uh, people like your Dan Harder and your Miles Brown that you support out in the Middle East. Uh, and, and to feel that significance. You may have security, but do you have significance? Do, are you really prepared to meet the Lord and hear what... Uh, that well done. You know, many mission leaders actually think it's over for America in terms of missionaries. Oh yeah, they'll all go out and take these little trips. But not the long haul. Not, the, not throwing away their careers. Because Americans don't have a su- uh, theology of suffering. Maybe we're going to have to get uh, Filipinos and Koreans and Latinos. Uh, but maybe Americans aren't going to go anymore and lay down their lives like the, the first ones that went to Africa and six out of seven died in the first six years uh, from malaria and other things. Because we don't have a theology of suffering. Because we like verses like Revelation 5.9. Oh, that's wonderful, huh? Revelation 5.9 talks about how there's going to be people from every tongue and every tribe worshiping the Lord, worshiping the Lamb like we've just been doing. Revelation 7.9 says the same thing. Which is great, because it tells you this is not an exercise in futility. We win. Amen? There's going to be people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. And here's my question. How much of it will be your fault? Or will they be there partly because of you? Well, don't forget Revelation 6.9. Like 5.9, like 7.9. People don't like 6.9. 6.9 says this. He saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of their testimony, which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And they were given a white robe and were told they should rest a little while longer until, until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, should be completed. You want some prophecy? Here's some prophecy. A whole bunch more people have to be killed before we're going to finish the job and bring someone from every tribe, every nation. So you've got to decide. Do you want to go by the Word? What Jesus said John 16, 2, he said, you will be killed by people who think they're doing God a favor. Does that sound contemporary? Have you been reading about Iraq? 
And there's people out there right now distributing Bibles who have, are in danger of being kidnapped and beheaded. You say, that's crazy. Not if you believe the next life is long and this one is short. Not if you really believe this is truly authentic communication from God. Not if you want to hear that well done. I believe that God wants to send some long-termers, more from here, as well as short-termers, and that God is going to put some of you on a team that's going to go where Christ is not known. So the most exciting thing yet to occur to those of us who are Great Commission Christians is to hear the Lord Jesus say, well done. But let me just remind you of the second most exciting event. The Lord refers to it in Luke 16, 9, when he says, make friends who will welcome you into eternal dwellings. The Bible says someday we're going to be in that multitude that no man can number. And everybody's going to know who did what for the Lord Jesus. No wonder. Some of us are going to be ashamed and he'll wipe away all tears. But as you are involved in your church's program here, as you're finding uh, a significant role in bringing a knowledge of the Lord Jesus to the peoples of the world, you're going to be among those who have the Haitians and the Arabs and the Malay and the Afghans and the, uh, uh, the Ethiopians and the Ugandans and the Papua New Guinea tribal people uh, and the Mexicans come running up to you on that day, and throw their arms around you, you may not be a hugger now, but you'll be a hugger then, who are going to say, thank you, thank you, thank you. I am here in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ, worshiping Him forever and ever and ever, partly because of your life, because you lifted up your head, you looked on the peoples, you said, I want, Lord, I want a significant role. Show me how I can make a difference in it. You wanted it badly enough, you got it, and you're going to have people who are going to welcome you into eternal dwellings. I just want to close by sharing a dream I had. I, uh, like many of you, have these common dreams, you know, missing the boat, missing the plane, preaching in my underwear, you know, kind of (laughs) dumb dreams. And my wife said, you know, I'm going to pray that you're going to have some spiritual dreams. I said, please do. I'm really tired of these other ones, you know. Psychologists could have a heyday. Uh... And I did. I've only had two in two years, but I want to share with you one of them. Two Muslims died, and they were suddenly found themselves in darkness. They weren't screaming, but they were stunned, just stunned. They were speechless, because they realized that Muhammad was not the way, the truth, and the life, and that Jesus was, and then missed it. And one of them finally said to the other one, uh, 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 did, did, you, did, 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 did you ever have a Christian friend? And the guy thought, he said, no. No, I never did. Did you? He said to the first one. And the other one said, No. No, I never did. Let's pray together.
Rather than pray for you, I'm just going to ask you to lift your own heart up to the Father and tell Him what you want. I believe there's people here today who need to say, Father, forgive me. I don't have your heart for the peoples that I don't know. I haven't cared that the Muslims go to heaven or any of the other peoples. I've been a baby Christian. I want to be a great commission Christian. If that's your desire, tell him. Tell the Father what you want. Many, many years ago, I prayed, Lord, if you're going to use a man, use me. And he was gracious to do that. Let him hear your hunger, your desires, and trust him as you meet with your church leaders to find your role in accomplishing Christ's glory in our generation. You talk to the Father.